Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, June 27th. We begin with the fallout south of the border following Friday's announcement that the landmark Roe versus Wade legislation has been overturned. We get the latest from Global News Washington correspondent Reggie Cicchini. Next, with record inflation gripping the country, what's next and is a recession inevitable in the coming months? We discuss with Moshe Lander, economics professor from Concordia University. Before you take off this summer, you may want to take some steps to protect your personal data. We catch up with cybersecurity expert Adrianus Warmenhoven, who explains just why travel puts us at a higher risk of being hacked and what you can do to safeguard yourself from being a victim of a cybercrime. And finally, it's another edition of Motivational Monday, a chance to get you motivated today and beyond. This time out, we speak with author and sports performance psychologist Dr. Haley Perlis. Dr. Perlis explains how doing just one thing each morning can set you up for success for the rest of the day. Uh, unless you've been under a rock, you know that on Friday, the U.S. Supreme Court overturned the landmark Roe versus Wade ruling, leading to demonstrations and protests across the U.S. With details, we are joined by Reggie Cicchini, Global News Washington correspondent. Good morning to you, Reggie. Good morning. What was public reaction following the Supreme Court ruling? What did you see from Friday on? Well, I mean, look, uh, broadly across the United States, uh, the issue of abortion uh, was um, had a large uh, bit of support amongst uh, Americans with between 56, 60, 65 percent of Americans not wanting to see overturning of uh, Roe. And that's why we saw such um, heated and sparked uh, kind of outrage outside of the U.S. Supreme Court on Friday. That protest kind of continued through the weekend, not only in Washington, but really. Protests show up outside of the U.S. legislature. You're just breaking up a bit. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, apologies. Uh, yeah, just these these um, these protests really did pop up over the weekend, not only in Washington, but here in Nashville as well, uh, where there were protests outside of the U.S. legislature. Uh, and then there were protests uh, from abortion advocates standing outside of the Planned Parenthood office in Nashville uh, because there is a very real fear and concern for what's going to happen next. So when we talk about what happens next, Reggie, I understand that it'll be up to individual states. Do we have some kind of a breakdown or indication on which states uh, will will move to, to ban? Well, I mean, look, in Kentucky, in South Dakota, and in Louisiana, abortion is now illegal. Here in Tennessee, they're in court today uh, dealing with an appeals court to see if they can get a six-week heartbeat ban put in place, which would ban abortion after six weeks. And then within the next month here in Tennessee, uh, abortion will be outright illegal. It is going to be like that in another eight states. And there's a chance here that another 12 states on top of that will also put restrictions in place sometime in the next several weeks. There is now a real push here to try and get Congress to do something, but that's an uphill battle. They already failed doing that once earlier this year. So I'm guessing that the thought process is, you know, uh, if this is something that uh, you're interested in as a woman to get an abortion, you, you won't be completely cut off, but if you had to travel one, two, or three states away, for all intents and purposes, it's not going to work for you. If you don't have the means, then it's uh, not an option for you. 
Yeah, absolutely. Look, this decision uh, from from all of the experts that we've spoken to is going to have a significant impact on low income women and on women of color, particularly in the U.S. South, uh, where there are simply going to be no options available. Here in Tennessee, the only option for a woman to go and get an abortion once the ban fully takes place would be to drive up to Illinois or to drive into Virginia. Those are hundreds of miles away, and people just don't have the financial means to do that. Now, there are abortion fund networks that have been set up around the country to try uh, and assist these women with taking um, the trip out of state. But there is a secondary problem here in that some states are actually trying to ban interstate travel and make it a crime to get an abortion in another state. So these are things that are now going to face additional legal challenges. But what it does is leave the health and well-being of women in these impacted states unclear. What it does also, I would think, Reggie, is leave concern or open up the door for concerns when it comes to other civil liberties being rolled back. Are you hearing that concern from the American people? Yeah, look, there's a real concern here uh, that same-sex marriage, that access to contraception, that intimacy in the bedroom is something that the Supreme Court could look at. Now, four conservative members of the Supreme Court said, look, the issue that took place last week was solely circulating around Roe, despite Justice Thomas saying that other rights should be looked at, essentially saying that they're not enshrined in the U.S. Constitution. But again, there is broad public support, as there was for abortion access, to things like gay marriage and access to contraception, and it would be wildly un popular for the Supreme Court to move in that direction, and that could also have a political uh, ramification for the Republican Party. Does that mean it's off the table? It's unclear. There are so many people who never thought that this day would come. And in the, the same time, you know, we, we were, it looks like there might be some movement when it comes to gun control. So it's just an interesting time. Yeah, absolutely. And look, this is also an election year. So what this does is provide motivators for the Democratic base, for Democrats to say, look, if you want your rights to remain in place when it comes to gay rights, when it comes to abortion, uh, you need to put legislatures uh, legislators in place that have uh, that kind of same feeling towards the rights of Americans as you do uh, and remove some of the Republicans that are in office. But at the same time, you have uh, a country that is now looking to say that men who want to carry a gun now have more rights than a woman does over her own uh, health and welfare. Uh, so, you know, this, this, is, this is likely going to become a, a top ticket item in the upcoming midterm elections. Are you seeing increased security around, you know, government buildings at, at this point, uh, Reggie? Do you think it could get to that point where we do see some violence as a result of this decision? Well, look, the protests that we saw over the weekend in Los Angeles, uh, in South Carolina, in New York, there was violence in, uh, in the streets of these cities. Uh, and there is a stepped up police personnel uh, around not only government buildings, but also around Planned Parenthood sites that still remain open. The one I'm standing in front of right now has armed security guards uh, as, as the final few patients are able to come into this clinic to receive services. And then once these um, once these services are, are officially banned, this is going to become more problematic because there is a real fear here that people will start to target these Planned Parenthood and abortion-providing clinics for providing counseling and information. This is, this is going to be a story that not only kind of comes and goes as these bans are put in place, but really remains in place for the next several months. Very interesting uh, you know, uh, topic, and uh, like you say, not going away anytime soon. Thanks so much for the update, Reggie. Thank you. That's Reggie Giacchini, a Washington correspondent for Global News. Inflation in our country at 7.7%, a high not seen for almost 40 years. Could this push the Canadian economy towards a recession? And what factors cause a recession? 
With Insight, we're joined by Moshe Lander, economics professor, Concordia University. Good morning, and uh, thank you for joining us once again, Moshe. My pleasure. Is it not as simple, Moshe, as you know, high inflation followed by a recession? Is that not the path we're on guaranteed? No, it's not necessarily guaranteed. Uh, the the first way that it could be busted is that we might not even meet the technical definition of a recession, right? That's a very formal idea that you have to have two declining quarters of GDP. Uh, we can have GDP slow down. We could have it decline for one quarter, and we could technically miss a recession. The other thing is that the inflation in this case is being caused by factors that we haven't seen in 50 years. So it's a little bit different than the usual playbook. Okay, so it is different. But as far as, you know, where we're going, as far as interest rates continuing to climb, different, but can we compare it to what we did see, say, 40 years ago in the 80s? So it's probably closer to what we saw 50 years ago uh, than 40 years ago. High inflation is high inflation, but the inflation that was caused 50 years ago was driven by OPEC oil shocks. And so uh, all of us in Alberta can appreciate, uh, you know, what that did for the oil industry in Alberta uh, back then, we're, we're seeing similar benefits now, right? Oil prices uh, nearing record highs and gasoline prices going through the roof and things like that. Um, the thing is that uh, when you see these supply side issues, uh, that's the type of thing that makes it really difficult for the government to do something about. And so in the 1980s, when inflation was high, uh, it, it prompted government action, which eventually led to the Bank of Canada being given a mandate to get inflation under control they're going to have a bit of a more difficult time doing it this time around. Is not, and if you can give us some kind of a, you mentioned the, the, the time frame involved with defining a recession, but is it not a case that the whole point is to stop people from spending uh, with the higher rates, with the higher inflation, and as a result, you know, if you simply can't afford things, you're not going to be purchasing unnecessary items. So, you know, what, what, what else goes into that recession definition? Yeah, so, I mean, that's certainly part of it, and that's why I was saying that it, it's not the usual sort of playbook that we're seeing. So most recessions are being triggered by an exuberance of consumer spending, like you described, right? Mm-hmm. Even firms will binge spend, right? And so a lot of uh, downtown Calgary works on this sort of boom and bust cycle, right, where you see all of these high rises go up, and the next thing you know, there's huge vacancy rates, right? Mm-hmm. So when the central bank increases interest rates, it's usually to try and say to consumers, stop spending so much. It's to businesses saying stop with so much construction. It's to say to governments even, stop spending so wildly. But if you have that the inflationary pressure is coming from rapidly rising costs of doing business, and those businesses are passing it on to consumers, it's not because we're spending wildly. It's because businesses are having a difficult time securing the labor, materials, and capital needed to to produce things. And that's partly what we're seeing now. And that's why the Bank of Canada is saying, I'm not sure that higher interest rates are going to necessarily make it easier for businesses to find workers or to get their hands on uh, raw materials. Okay, well, you mentioned a couple of key things there, Moshe. First of all, earlier in the conversation, you mentioned that the government is having issues controlling this because it's something they've not seen as far as supply issues, which they obviously can't control. You mentioned the businesses, you know, having some resource issues. So who in the heck can, who is Superman or Superwoman in this who can get us out of this? What sector or is it, who's it on? It, that's exactly it. it. It's it's really nobody can, right? That 
we've seen wave after wave of COVID come. And with these waves, one way to kind of imagine it is that if you look at waves on the ocean, right, they're not all uniform. So as we're coming out of uh, COVID in Canada, we're reading stories that China is undergoing lockdowns for a wave of COVID over there. We're hearing there might be a wave that comes into North America in the fall. So, you know, even the supply chain then isn't all moving in lockstep with each other. And there's really nothing that can be done about that. So this is why governments are pulling their hair out saying, I don't know what you want us to do. This isn't something that we can control. Then add to it freak weather events and random strikes by, say, CN workers or uh, people in the port of Vancouver going on strike. Again, these are things that the, the government says, we can't control that stuff. And so if you're looking for us to fix it, we can fix excessive consumer spending. We can't fix waves of COVID or global climate change. You you mentioned the excessive consumer spending for some folks, Moshe. You know, it's just hard to to put groceries on the table at this point. And you say to people, you know, oh, don't spend frivolously and, you know, watch your pennies. But, you know, when when it takes so much gas to get to work and and your heating bill and the price of the grocery store is so high, there's not a lot of room to move. What do you see um, as, you know, uh, what an individual can do to make it through this rough ride? That's that's the worst part then, too, right? In the same way that the government is throwing up their hands saying, we can't really help you here. We can't really help ourselves either. The the solution that we might think is to go into the boss and say, well, look, prices are at uh, or increasing at a 40-year high. Uh, I want a 40-year high pay increase to go with it. But the fact is that if workers go in and start asking for 7 8% wage increases, those businesses are going to have to pass on some of it, all of it, onto consumers, which itself becomes inflationary. And it just means that it's that much tougher to tame. So the real damage of inflation, then, is that it's almost acting like a tax. It's taking money out of low-income people whose incomes are being stretched, and it's basically transferring it over, not necessarily to, to rich people, but people who are maybe better able to shield themselves from inflation. And so, you know, it, it is unfortunately the thing that the only thing you can really say is you do have to clip coupons. You do have to look for ways to economize. You do have to look to delay anything that's not important. Uh, and hopefully the Bank of Canada will be able to get a grip on this within the next six to 12 months. Is that the forecast, Moshe? What, is, what are you seeing as far as when we might be out of this? Yeah, I, I would say six to 12 months. Uh, again, it, it's certain things that are just not within the control of the Bank of Canada or the government, right? So, you know, you can increase interest rates as much as you want. That's not necessarily going to stop uh, COVID or, or maybe now even monkeypox is the, is the, the fear, right? Um, but usually when you increase interest rates, it takes about six to 12 months to work their way through the economy. And the Bank of Canada's got a nice big interest rate increase coming in a couple of weeks. Uh, those things should really have their maximum impact by the end of this year. And whatever uh, air is in the economy because of consumer spending or because of business spending is certainly going to be knocked out of it by the end of this year. And that's hopefully when things can come back to, to what we've assumed to be normal over the last 30 years. Some great insight. Thanks for your time, Moshe. We appreciate it. Anytime. That is Moshe Lander, economics professor from Concordia University. What do you need to know to protect your personal data and avoid being hacked while traveling this summer? Joining us with expert insight is Adrianus Warmenhoven, Nord cybersecurity expert. Good day to you and a good morning, Adrianus. Good morning. 
Well, let's let's talk about this. I think we all are aware of the fact that we could be hacked. Uh, why is it almost more common to be hacked while traveling? This is because you will connect to a lot of um, open Wi-Fi or guest Wi-Fi uh, systems, and those are not as protected as your own home. It means that somebody else could just impersonate one of these access points and, and, and just steal all your data. It, it's ridiculously simple. But it's interesting because I think when we travel, we want to be connected more than ever. So there's kind of that double-edged sword, isn't there, Adrianas? Yes, um, especially because we want to share um, uh, photos and other memorabilia from, from where we are, maybe our location, and we want to send messages. So yes, that, 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 that's absolutely correct. But be careful out there while traveling. And also, your mood is, of course, a lot freer than when you're at home. Yeah, I guess that would be it. Guard is let down. I'm on holidays or just away in a, in a different environment. Something that when you're reading about this, you hear something in a term called evil twin Wi-Fi networks. Uh, how can you identify risky Wi-Fi? That is actually hard. Um, this is what I just mentioned in, in the beginning. Um, this is impersonating uh, the other Wi-Fi. And if you have never connected to a guest Wi-Fi, mm -hmm. you cannot distinguish between the two. So um, when it's in your own home, your, your system already has some uh, measures in place. And if you have connected to a, a network before, then you also have some fingerprints uh, of that. But when you uh, go to the hotel or the camping for the first time, you do not know which of these is the real one. Yeah. So this is really hard. It's hard. I guess you got to educate yourself. It's on the user's, you know, responsibility and the onus of the user. So I, I'm wondering, and this is kind of a behind-the-scenes type question, Adrianus, uh, how are these hackers able to infiltrate these Wi-Fi networks? Can you give us some sort of an idea of the process? Because to me, it, it kind of seems like a James Bond or an espionage type thing. Um, for the lazy hackers, they can just buy uh, a tool from one of the websites. Uh, I'm not going to mention it because it's, it's, it's around $190. Oh. Um, and, and, and then you're all set and then it, it, it does everything for you. But if you build it yourself, it's just like making your own Wi-Fi router, giving it the name of, of the Wi-Fi access point of your neighbor. It's as simple as that. Wow. Okay, there's, so there's nothing spectacular about it. it. But but they know what they're doing and they know that it works, so they keep doing it, I guess. What yes. can we do as far as you know, we mentioned that twin Wi-Fi. Um, should we just be on our own personal service and try to maybe, if, if we're on our cell phones, try to avoid Wi-Fi in these public areas? Or is there a surefire way to know that I am being protected using uh, another Wi-Fi? Yes, the best way, uh, the best thing to do is always use a VPN uh -huh. um, because that uh, protects your data no matter what the uh, internet connection is. So even if it's an evil twin, if they give you an internet connection, you, you, you don't have to care because they cannot see anything about it. So the VPN is, is, is really the first part that, that, that you should uh, install on, on your phone or your laptop. And the other thing is, of course, uh, when you're in a hotel, um, you can kind of see it um, from the uh, amount of bars, the strength of the signal. The hotel, of course, the signal is closer than, than, than the evil twin. So you can, can kind of watch it. But mostly use a VPN. Don't use any sites that don't have uh, HTTPS uh, encryption, like the TLS, uh, like uh, uh, encrypted site, and use a password manager, of course. This is also really important. Okay, last but not least, Adrianus, if I find out that, you know, I have been hacked, what should I do at that point? Is there anything I can do at that point, or is it just too late? 
always, always uh, um, go to the police and, 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 and um, make a report. Mm-hmm. This helps uh, statistics and law enforcement. And the other thing is, um, it, it might be a bit too late, but if you don't store too many things, uh, clean your mobile phone before you go on, on, on vacation. Mm-hmm. That's also a good one. If you do backups on your local uh, storage or on, in, the, in the cloud, and don't bring all your personal belongings with you because you don't do that in, in, in physical stuff as well. You don't take everything you have at home, all your credentials and papers and ownership of your house. You don't bring that with your own vacation. So don't bring uh, a too fully filled mobile phone with you. Some great uh, you know, points and some great tips. Thank you so much for your time, Adrianus. We appreciate it. Thank you. That is Adrianus Warmenhoven, Nord cybersecurity expert. This is Motivational Monday, a chance to get you motivated today and beyond. Joining us today is Dr. Haley Perlis, performance consultant and author and certified fitness professional and coach. Good morning to you, Haley. Hi, Andy. I can feel the motivation from your energy and tone. <laughs> well, you got to do what you can. <laughs> On a Monday morning, you got to do what you can, right? So let's uh, talk about what you do. You work with some of the world's top athletes, brands, and fitness experts to move past mental blocks to help them achieve results tailored to their individual goals and expectations. So I'm wondering, where does somebody like you start? If I come to you and say, hey, Dr. Perlis, I, I need to get things going, where do you start? You know, people people come to me because they're they are struggling, right? They are motivated, they have intention, they have goodwill, but there's always this story that's holding them back. And so, what I want to do is find that story that's holding them back, become a better storyteller, and then that allows all the energy and emotions and and all whatever they know how to do with their body, it finally gets to flow. So how do you get to the root of that? How do you determine? I mean, I, I truly believe, you know, you're right. Everybody has a story. It's just finding out what it is, getting it out. Isn't, is not is that sort of like the, the biggest issue is to, to find what it is? Or is it the bigger goal to get it out itself? It's usually some type of fear, right? Fear of failure, fear even maybe of success. Because once I achieve something, then I expect myself to stay on top. Then I expect myself to always be this healthy, to never go backwards, fear of the unknown, fear of injury, fear of competition, intimidation. So it's usually something about fear, you know, which creates that anxiety. So I, we, just talk, we just start telling stories and sharing. And then I, I find the one story that's holding us back. And then we look to change that story. And I can offer an example. This is so great that talking about performance psychology just this week, my 13-year-old nephew had to put together a little TED talk for himself and he wanted to do one in sports psychology. And I asked him to come up with a story where he felt, you know, fear. And he talked about intimidation. He was intimidated by, by his classmates, by his opponents. So then we had to change the story instead of looking at them and what are they going to do to be better, which you think about social media right now. And a lot of that is, it's a lot of what are they doing? That's better than me. What do Mm -hmm. they have? That's better than me. What are they going to do to be better than me? We turn that around and say, thank you for showing up. And let's now use that energy to motivate me and focus on my strengths and then go and uh, follow through on our, on our goals and our intentions. Simple in what I just shared with you. It's a lot more detailed, but generally that's what I do. We've got some great tips that you've sent along, and I know there's a, there's a few of them, so if we can move through them quickly and make sure we can you know cross off as many as possible. But the first one seems super simple, and you think, how would this help me or how would this really help anybody? And it's make your bed in the morning, if you can explain that one. <laughs> well, you set yourself up for success, right? So you, you, you wake up and you put together, you, get, you feel organized. 
you feel like you just took a little bit of an action. It's a ritual in the morning that we all can do. And it makes you feel like you just put one little step in to giving yourself some energy and order and, um, and confidence. It's, you know, when you just, when you walk out of a messy room, when you walk back into a messy room, it's, it's difficult. So one of the things that we're doing right now and not even just making beds, even just looking at our computers, looking at our desk space, like, so making your bed kind of is one example of that. We just need a little bit of, of, of clean energy because mentally we can become cluttered very easily. Mm-hmm. So if we have a clean environment, if we had an, or if we have an orderly environment and your bed is one of a great ways to start that, we can then become more clear in our heads. I want to skip to this one and talk about getting your steps in. Are you literally talking about getting your steps in? Andy is very serious about getting 10,000 steps a day. In fact, he will not go to bed until he's got his 10,000 steps. Is that what you're talking about here? I, I am, but what, I, what I'm really asking people to do is to move throughout the day. So I don't want, you know, one, one size does not fit all, but given the situation and the rules and the careers that we're in, some of us are inactive eight hours of the day, not including sleep. And that's, that's, a lot of in, that's a lot of inactivity. We're just sitting there, you know, getting tired and more tired and more tired. So it's hard to get motivated to go and exercise and hard to get motivated at the end of the day. So if you've asked yourself to get your steps in, every hour if you do, you know, some movement, mm-hmm. which is really what I mean when I get your steps in, you're maintaining energy. Blood is circulating through your body. Blood is carrying oxygen, glucose, energy. We maintain physical energy, which then allows us to be more of the motivated. Want to leap to this point, which is surround yourselves with smart and or successful people. Not to you know say that you might have might not have these people in your office, but if you don't, you, you might have to do some uh, you know legwork to find these people. Is that something we should be looking outside of our uh, circle for? I'm such a big believer. Emotions are contagious. Um, my, you know, mindset, positive, optimistic mindset is contagious. Uh, our self talk is doesn't just stay inside our heads. It then gets you know, obviously we then talk out loud. So if we can surround ourselves with people and it, if you don't have it in the workplace, you know, create a social community outside, join a club, join some, you know, friends, your family, maybe even start listening to, to podcasts with people who have energy, you know, tune in to, <laughs> to Andy and Sue mm-hmm. and get that energy because it is contagious. So if you're not feeling so great one day, you put yourself in an environment where people are and then you will, again, it's that, it's that um, magnet effect. You will, we all want to be happy. And if you put yourself in that situation, you're more inclined to be. And Haley, to wrap up the, uh, the checklist you talk about, you know, sometimes a checklist can be daunting, right? If there's too much on there. Is it more about uh, just achieving what you've got on your list or is it those chores themselves? I'm a big believer in being able to say at the end of the day, what have I achieved today? instead of what I haven't achieved today. And when we have long, long lists, even though you're crossing things off, you still look at all the things you haven't yet done. But if we have short lists, you get, the, you get to cross it off. You get to see a list complete, put that away, take a new list out. And that has a huge impact on our emotional state, on our mental state. But it's also, again, when I talked about that, that cluttered mind, when we have a very clear list to, per, to pursue, um, it allows us to be, again, more clear, more organized, more orderly in our mindset. Good stuff. Thanks for your time, Dr. Perlis. We appreciate it. Thank you both.
Going to direct people to drhaleyperlus.com, and that's Dr. H-A-L-E-Y-P-E-R-L-U-S.com. And she's, of course, a peak performance consultant, certified fitness professional and coach, author and sport and performance psychology PhD. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.